welcome back for episode 51 of Focus Fire Chat, recorded live on September 21st, 2016 on Twitch.tv. Big shout out to the chat here. Thank you so much for spending your evening with us. This is your host, Blue Crew 86. Alongside me, we have the man who it has been said has the voice of a flower, Justin Sane 0516. Justin, have you had a chance to get into the Rise of Iron yet? Yes, I did. It took some uh, creative accounting on my part, and I made it happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I actually finished all the story and am on to questing. So that's a thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I haven't had much time because I've been working super long hours at work out of town. But every chance I get, I hop in. Yeah, uh, you're you're further along than I am, so... I think I'm about halfway through the the story mission. It's amazing. I've read all the grimoire that I can get oh, my yes. hands on. So, oh yes. But and am I the only one who gets a strong Danny Glover vibe from Saladin? Like at any moment he's going to say he's too old for everything. That's <laughs> just me. He kind of. He kind of. Yeah. I mean, I can kind of see that. I definitely can kind of see that. But but today's topic is going to be a look at the lore of the time before the collapse, before all the stuff that we are learning about, the Golden Age. Before we get into that, though, I I did want to run through some quick show notes. In our last chat, we took a look at the lore of Cade 6. If you missed that and have any interest in hearing our thoughts, please be sure to check out www.focusfirechat for archives of all previous chats, as well as links to all our various other pages. If you don't mind, please give us some feedback on iTunes to let us know how we're doing. As many of you already know, Focus Fire Chat is a cross-community gathering where the intent is to offer a week-long, in-depth view of a particular subject from within the lore of Destiny and other games. This chat begins every Tuesday morning and runs until the following Tuesday, with topics decided by the group via a poll that begins every Friday and ends on the Tuesday morning of the new chat. Every Wednesday at around 10 p.m. Central, we get together to stream a recap of the previous week's chat for those who are unable to participate. Please be sure to also give some support to the other podcast on the Guardian Radio Network found at theguardiansofdestiny.com. Our next chat will be a discussion on the lore of the mysterious and unknown Alpha Lupe, or Alpha Lupi. Wow, I completely butchered that one. But with that... With that, let's go ahead and dive into the information of the one that I can pronounce, the Golden Age. Yes. Also known as the Gilded Age. No, I'm just kidding. That's another thing. Um, So, the Traveler changed everything. It reshaped our solar system as decisively as it shattered our scientific and philosophical frameworks. To our ancestors, it must have been a hammer blow. A a glimpse beyond the horizon of expected possibility and into a realm of transcendent power. The Traveler kindled the Golden Age, but we built it. We remember this with pride. Even after so much else has been lost, we settled our solar system and filled it with our work. Today, cryptarchs and scholars work to distill the legends of the Golden Age into truth. We know that humans lived longer, flew further, and knew more. We know that countless ancient diseases and hatreds were extinguished forever. 
human aspiration gives birth to vast engineering projects, sweeping social movements, and even new forms of life. The Golden Age was not without challenges. Sources speak of internal strife, philosophical rifts, particularly around questions of machine intelligence and mind forking, and enduring scientific enigmas. But humanity and its machine children tackled these problems with pride, vigor, and a contagious sense of pluralist compassion. I think on <clears throat> the first thing is is that everyone everyone should note is that Bungie as as a fourth wall like outside of the fourth wall did a very good job in presenting kind of a the dystopian model of a of a game with this kind of this glimmer of hope and I think that it's really you know as we get further into the golden age grimoire and the the information that we've had you know not only not only the information that we've had from the beginning of the game but also some of the information that's not so shiny that we've learned about especially Clovis Bray in you know the current iteration of the game the um you you'll find that there's there's a very realistic approach that they've they've taken in portraying this golden age and the golden age it's just very human it's very very i mean that's that's what i keep coming i keep coming back to when i start talking about it is that it's very human in in the way that we were given immense power we were given immense intelligence but at the same time we we do still have that retain we still retain that base quality of our own humanity in that there are people who are going to abuse that power. And there are people who are going to take advantage of that and use that as an opportunity to, to, you know, get one up over the others. And then you have people who are doing the exact opposite. You know, you have like the Eris one team. Um, there's, there's certain individuals within Ishtar Academy. There's even individuals within Clovis Bray's in industry and corporation that were not, necessarily evil i mean even technically you can argue that maybe even some of the brays were not fully evil either but again we'll get into that you know definitely as we go down in the grimoire about those particular pieces but i think this is a really good summary card not only just because it is the golden age grimoire card but it really shows it shows a number of different things that i i i like about it is the first the traveler did not build our golden age it was ours the traveler was a catalyst for it and it gave us a spark on which we then built the bonfire that was the golden age so the traveler was like a match we provided the fuel and the energy to to transform that small flame into the bonfire that was the golden age and so we are we were completely responsible. And you see that, you know, we, again, we see that in the Guardians as well. The Traveler gave them the light, the ability to manifest that light. But it's up to the Guardian itself, the individual Guardian, to choose which path to take, which whether they fight for the light or they fight for the darkness. We know that some of them, you know, weren't necessarily the best of people. Even the ones who fought for the light weren't the best of people. And that's the very, very strong nod to the free will argument within the game. This is exactly the same thing. The the traveler came and they it bestowed all this information onto us 
as a human race, we then took that and did our own things with it. We, you know, terraformed planets. The Traveler terraformed a couple planets, but we also did the same thing. We developed things like the near light speed drives, you know, all these technologies that we we developed to to further explore our solar system and even, you know, even pathways into galaxies beyond, technically. That is all on us. And that was all stuff that we managed to do with the information that we were given. Um, Justin, I don't know if you want, if you have anything you want to throw in there as well. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I mean, I agree with you. Um, the traveler made, made these things possible, um, made them a reality where, whereas before they would have been a thing never to be reached for. But I think this, this little statement about we made it, we did this. It's, it's almost like a little bit of, you know, human hubris creeping through there because we've, we've struggled around on this rock for how many millennia and haven't been able to, to rise above, you know, the, just the, the, it's called often the human condition, but we've just, we've really struggled to, to break the shackles of war, greed, oppression, um, and all the, the other things that kind of go with that. But I, I would kind of argue that the, the traveler had the biggest part to play and we were, you know, it's almost like the, the traveler laid out the chessboard and we were the pieces moving on it. If the chessboard's not laid out, the pieces can't do anything. Yeah. That's just I what I would say. But. Yeah. And I mean, and I don't, and I don't mean, I definitely, I definitely see that, you know, but I, I think it's also, I don't, I don't know. I just, I get the feeling of it's kind of like, you know, the, the, um, the saying about the, you know, teach a man to fish, you know, the traveler didn't come to give us fish. The traveler came to teach us to fish mm-hmm. is the, yeah. you know, you know, that that's kind of the feeling I get and pins. Yeah. You know, pin says in chat, we are our own, we are our own worst yeah. enemy. Power is a double edged blade. You can use it for yeah. good, but you can also use it for evil. And the thing is, is the the feeling that I get from the traveler and like from what just from what I've seen within the story myself and how I read it is that the traveler doesn't the traveler doesn't ascribe a certain path for which to forge with the power that it gives. The traveler is merely a source of energy. You know, we've talked about that with the light. It's it's just energy. It's not good, evil moral amoral black white it's it's not that it's just energy and you can take that it's a it's a it's fuel and you pour it into the engine and then you you take that engine and you steer it and so that's what i get from the sense of when we're talking about the golden age and stuff like that you know we have amazing amazing developments we have you know mind-boggling nanotechnology you know especially nanotechnology is a big thing right now with the with siva that was all the golden age that was stuff that was developed in the golden age but then you have stuff that's just even more like just just amazing to think about which is you know the eradication of traditional diseases that's that's cancer you know, autoimmune diseases, things that have plagued humanity for ever since we've been here. Those are traditional diseases that we we got rid of because of this information. 
you know, and we'll we'll talk about this when we get into the Aries, the Aries one card. But, you know, because the traveler teaches us the slippery realities of light and how to manifest that and trying to kind of change things. It's almost like almost borderline paracausal. I get the sense, but not quite fully paracausal. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. You want to, yeah, you want to, <laughs> well, I was just, I was just going to say, yeah, those are, those are good points about, um, you know, the eradication of disease and certain things. Cause, cause these are the tools of, you know, oppression and war. And this, these are ways that societies are, are kept in turmoil, the threat of hunger, disease, you know, all these things there. You hear about the carrot and the stick. These are Mm -hmm. oftentimes the stick in this conversation. So you can imagine the world we would live in if all that were immediately gone. Um, just, you know, what, what kind of impact that would have on people's worldview. So. No, I think the traveler probably just gave humanity an attitude adjustment. Like we just, it gave us some perspective. Um, and most, I would probably say took that and, and ran with it. Well, and you know what you're talking about when, when you're talking about uh, a world in which you don't have to worry about you know hunger or diseases, it reminds me a lot of Beggars in Spain. Uh, I don't know if you've read that one, uh, Nancy Cress, uh, but it was a it's an old it, well it's not old but it's a it's a science fiction book that is basically talking about sleepers and sleepless. Um, and it's probably more, it's probably more applicable towards guardians and humans, but this is kind of, um, it's kind of also because it's, it's about what would happen if you had a, a, a portion of the society that didn't have to sleep, you know, like how, how would that affect society in general? And it's, it's an amazing book. If you haven't read it, you really should. It's, it's not terrible. It's not terribly long, but, um, it's that's what whenever whenever people start talking about you know what would the world be like without without the need for you know what without the fear of traditional diseases and what without the fear of going hungry that's what it that's what comes to mind but you want to move you want to jump into the ghost fragments of the golden age yeah yeah why don't we Okay, so the the first ghost fragment of the Golden Age is really actually kind of a remembrance. So it's a conversation between uh, father and son, and so just keep that in mind. It's not. Um, it's it's taking. I want to say it's kind of. It doesn't really. Well, let me just read it. So ghost fragment the Golden Age. What are you thinking about? I asked. When I was a little boy, father said during the before. I said, yes. He reached down to brush my hair. I was recalling how very smart I used to be. When I was your age, I was a genius. You're smart now, I said. He laughed hard. Look around, he said. I always look around. Miss nothing, he told me. Father was standing beside a big gray building. This is what I want you to see, he said. The building had no doors or windows. Do you know how to make a strong password? He asked. I I don't know if I do, I said. 
Tell yourself a story, he said. Use that one good story you'll never forget that you can carry forever. Let your story take odd turns and wear a few surprising marks. Make sure it belongs to you so you can keep it secret. Father kneeled, putting our faces close. I want to show you something special, he said. Something rare. I tried to imagine what that might be. No, he warned. You can't guess. Inside the gray building was a diamond wall. A projected sky floated above us. It wasn't our sky, alive with metal and light. Nothing about the grayness was wet. Nothing looked alive. I had never seen a sadder piece of ground. This was our world, Father said, when I was your age. I touched the diamond wall. He watched my hand jump back. Hot, I said. He laughed quietly. I shook my burnt hand and it felt better. Our world was this. The entire planet was a furnace, acidic, dead in so many ways, and I was your age. I was bored with the dead world. I looked at Father's face and asked, can we leave? He started to reach for my hair again, but decided not to. I was bored with everything. When I was your age, people thought they knew almost everything. We had scientific laws and human truths, even a model of the universe. People carried pictures of the past and tried to have a clear vision of their difficult future. I didn't know everything, of course, but when I was a boy, I had every expectation of living a smart, short life and learning quite a lot more. Then the before was finished. You know why. That's when everybody, particularly the smartest of us, learned that we knew nothing. We were children, and our little ideas were toys and the universe was cut apart with great ideas and magnificent immeasurable potentials. Father stopped talking. I stepped away from the hot diamond wall. Do you know what I wanted to show you? Father asked. Dead rock, I said. Guess again. He wasn't happy with me. We stepped back into the real sun, the real world. I blinked and looked around, surprised about how green and bright everything was, how happy everything was. Even the saddest face was happy. I know what you want me to see, I said. Don't tell me, he said. I didn't tell him. So. (laughs) This is very confusing. Yeah, I mean, it it is, but it's not. I mean, it's it reminds me a lot of um, a very Socratic method of instructing people like the the dialogue is very very you know leading the individual to his own realization of what is going on and basically the message that i get from it is is humanity was very very full of themselves and then they got slapped down they they got reminded that even as knowledgeable as they are, they had no clue what was going on. You know what I love about this this card more than anything? If you're a father or mother, <laughs> you will love it and you will identify with it. The line that says, he started to reach for my hair, but decided not to. <laughs> The kid goes, I was bored with the dead world. I looked at father's face asking, can we leave? 
That's exactly the, you know, that was the voice. <laughs> Can we leave, Dad? This is lame. And then he just like reached out a hand and just shook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but as far as the implications, what do we think is the gray world? Is that pre, um, just, do we think that that's maybe referring to the state that humanity on earth had, had gotten to before the traveler got there with possibly overpopulation and pollution and, you know, the yeah, I mean, natural plant growth and, and maybe, maybe it was just, just a, a scabby um, skyscape of, you know, yeah. And, and like, I always go back and forth because I'm always trying to, I'm, I'm, constantly trying to figure out and i'm pretty sure you know the more i read this card and having read it out loud which actually changes my reading of it uh, surprisingly um i'm actually thinking that this is you know at first i thought there was someone reading or reminiscing about the golden age and i think that this is actually something during the golden age on venus and they're remembering the bef- the before quotation marks around that is before the golden age, mm-hmm. and I'm just you know I'm just I might just be slow and just coming around to that realization, but I think that's that's what suddenly kind of snapped to me is this is a dad this is a this is a parent a dad who lived prior to the the you know whatever whatever process went went through everything to create the golden age and this is his son who was born in this new world. Right. And the reason, the reason I, um, I say that this is on Venus and I see the chat going up or talking about it right now. Um, there's a couple, there's a couple things that make it think that this is Venus. Um, the entire planet was a furnace and acidic and dead in so many ways. Um, we know from the Hesperus, uh, Hesperus armor suit that, the Hesperonauts were actually the ones who descended into the calderas of Venus and to terraform it from the acidic planet that it was. And so this was, that's kind of where, and then also the, the very, very strong point of describing it as a green wet world makes me really think, you know, if you run around Venus right now, it's very green and very, very wet. So. Yeah. And there is one part of this card that screams EXO to me. Mm. You probably know the one I'm talking about. Where he says, and I quote, Mm -hmm. do you know how to make a strong password? Mm -hmm. And he says, tell yourself a story and then make it yours and all this. And doesn't that just like, just make you think of the Deep Stone Crypt? Yeah. Because that... You know, Essentially, that, that's what that's what that is. It's it's a story that's only yours because it's everyone you've ever met. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, the only the only kink that I'm having in this entire reading is that he is talking about the world as when it was when he was a boy, but during the before, which would make me curious how someone was on Venus. <laughs> you know, like yeah, um, but. I totally can see that being a either a connection to maybe one of the Brays or, you know, because I know a couple of people have made a comment about this is Bray 
either Bray and his son or Clovis and what's his son's name? Clovis the second. Well, that's not. Well, there's, there's a, there's a, (laughs) there's a couple Bray's. Um, there's, there's like, I think it's Anton Clovis Bray the second. And then I can only ever remember the, the women in the, yeah, you know, I'm Elsie, Anna, Willa, Willa, Willa Bray. Yeah. I'm trying to remember um, which one. So, so just real quick, just before we move on, because I like this little nugget. You were talking about the Hesperonauts. Mm-hmm. I don't think I said that right, but um, in Greek mythology, Hesperus is actually um, the evening star, the planet Venus in the evening. So right. that's where that kind of comes from. Yeah, and so if you if you look, the the armor is actually the Hesperos, and it's a Titan armor. Um, and the and so like Hesperos Type One, which is one of the arm plates, says the Hesperonauts installed the terraform engines and secured Venus's first colonies. And then the uh, let's see, Type Zero Hesperos Type Zero, which is the head says at the dawn of the golden age the hesperonauts were the first to descend into venus's boiling mist again talking about the you know the heat and the the acidity and then the hesperos type 1 again this is the titan leg armor says like the deep sea divers of old the hesperonauts plunged into the fiery calderas of venus so this is this is also a lot of the time why I defend the idea that the Traveler did not actually terraform Venus. We terraform Venus using the technology that the Traveler allowed us to create. Well, it it actually says that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it it comes right. out and says it. Right. Well, no, no, I know. I've just I've been in a lot of conversations where they're like, "Yeah, it terraformed Venus." And it's like it didn't terraform Venus. It did terraform well, Mars. It brought rain to Mars, but gave the moon gravity mm-hmm. or um, did something to the moon that gave it. Well, well, yeah, you know, that's, and that to me is a crazy point just because there's only one way to give something gravity, right? Mm-hmm. It's increase its mass. Correct. I could be wrong. Is there a scientist in the chat? Is there a scientist? Uh, the weird thing about that is... I don't think you're going to increase the gravity of an object without increasing its mass. Well, and the weird thing about that is, so if it did that to the moon, then how does that Im- how does that impact everyone's theory about the hive being already on the moon? Yeah, I don't... You know, like, I'm like, I've... The moon is honeycombed with freaking tunnels at this point. Right. But I don't get it either. I also want to see this diamond wall. I think that's really cool. I do too. I just want it to be actually. I thought of this card when I was, ah, I won't go there. <laughs> stuff. Never mind. Um, fun card. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, the thing is, is like the diamond wall. It makes me, for whatever reason, it makes me think of the walls in the Pantheon crucible map okay yeah I can you know what that. i'm saying like the vex walls it makes me think of that so so um, but do we yeah let's we want to move on to golden age two yes okay see 
This is Ghost Fragment Golden Age 2. Anomaly 779. Never be. Skyscape fresco of smart crystals and pigments in a ceiling of Vestin plaster and diamond ribbing. Apparent size 14.4 by 3.55 by 0.22 meters. Participants witness images in an undetermined orbital habit. Five to 77 images are generated per participant. The quantity seems insensitive to the participant's time of exposure. The participants experience strong. Oh my God, how many times am I going to have to say participant? Um, (laughs) Experience strong intuitions. Modal self reports include an electric sense of belonging to a cause, the intuition that a pivotal truth is about to be delivered, a persistent foreboding that lingers for days to years, amorphous grief, agape love, agape outlier reports. No, it's a gape. No, it's Greek. It's agape. (laughs) Get good. Why don't you interrupt my card? Um, (laughs) Agape love. Outlier reports include the hum of wind, the scent of lilacs, changes in apparent gravity, the ability to sing perfectly, and the perception of flesh as transparent. One corner was damaged during the move to the present location, affording a glimpse into the work's interior. Key materials have not been identified, but there is evidence that the fresco ties into quantum computers set in a parallel dimension or on a distant world. The work appears to be unfinished. Hmm. So, is this... Okay, sorry. Is this Sisyphus? Um, I don't think so because Sisyphus was on Earth. Wasn't this? Oh no, no, no! This is a ceiling of Vestin plaster. Vestin, Vestin. Calm down, calm down, Agape. Um, Calm down. (laughs) I agree. Um, yeah, but. All this, okay, okay. If I just read the next couple of phrases to you, tell me what faction it would make you think of. An electric sense of a belonging to a cause, mm-hmm. the intuition that a pivotal truth is about to be delivered, a persistent foreboding that lingers for days to years. Do you are you seriously telling me that makes you think anything other than future war cult? No, yeah, I, I definitely think future war cult, and I think that. A lot of people connect this to. Um, this is a chasm we're talking about right here. Mm-hmm. It's what I think. Just my opinion. Just my agape, agape opinion. <laughs> okay. For the record, agape is <laughs> Greek. It's a Greek guy. Plus, there is a word. By it the way, is a that word. Is agape. Okay. In, no, agape. Agape is a word as well. Agape. Agape love is Greek for the highest form of love or charity. It's the love of God for man and of man for God, um, which is not to be confused with filio, which is brotherly love. Agape is more of a universal, unconditionally love that transcends and serves regardless of circumstances. So it's a self, selfless love, right? 
<laughs> so agape, like agape is the highest form of caring for another person. So when you're talking about agape love, that's what, and then, you know, the persistent foreboding and the intuition that a pivotal truth, all these things are very, very, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I get the sense that this is something that was done within the device or something similar to that. And the other funny thing here is, or not funny, but the other thing here is the comment that <clears throat> the corner that was damaged during the move gives you the glimpse of the works interior. Mm-hmm. Um, giving yeah. evidence that the fresco ties into quantum computers set in a parallel dimension or on a distant world. <clears throat> what, mm-hmm. what NPC do we know that, that has parallel? Oh, oh, that's right. The Vex. Yeah. I could literally just go on for days. The yeah. stranger, the Vex, uh, Pradith. <laughs> yeah. All of them with strong ties to the future world cult. Rainbow Death Squad. <laughs> but I mean, the other and no one needs no one needs to know this from a lore standpoint. But I have a full, brand new Eon Tracer, for Future War Cult, on my hunter right now. He's all brand new Future War Cult with a God Roll Scout Rifle. So, so let's you, move on. The Rainbow Death Squad has arrived. Um, Rainbow Death Squad. The the other thing is is that this actually is kind of similar to the supposed feelings that people have when they come into physical contact with the Vex. So, yeah, yeah, the cellular Vex elements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like it. Mm-hmm. I like it. Mm-hmm. So, are we re- are we ready to move on? Because I'm killing Doctor Stun in. Because he knows things and I'm butchering them <laughs> in the chat. So I think we might need to move it. <laughs> All right. Well, we kind of mentioned we kind of mentioned these cards in, you know within the first card and in the introduction as well. But this is gonna be the ghost fragment human cards. And these are really just basically the entries from Eris One, specifically from Commander Jacob Hardy. And so this is the first one. It's Ghost Fragment Human. And it says, From the Diaries of Commander Jacob Hardy, Pilot, Eris One. The mission is a go. Crew of three, Mihalova, Cal, and myself. Immediate departure at the next Holman window to Mars. The MREs of return ships will chase us out. How do I feel? I said at the press conference I feel privileged. Historians will read this diary, but it won't take their insight to tell the world that I'm terrified. This is a human reaction. What I could wish I could say I could convey is the the exhilaration. That's the biggest thing. I'm not a spiritual man, but I've always believed that there's something transcendent about spaceflight. Something pure. We go out there because we can, because it's who we are. Now we go because we have to. Because the unknown came to us. In fourteen months we'll be face to face with it. And by the time we arrive, it should be active again, just like it was active on Jupiter and Mercury and Venus. I wonder what happens if it doesn't stop at Mars. I wonder if it'll leave us there in the sand and come to Earth and do here what it's done everywhere else. I hate that we're carrying weapons. I understand the necessity, but I hold to my belief 
There's something beautiful out there. It's up to us to reach it. So, that is the first ghost fragment. Do you want you know, you know what I'm just thinking? Do you want to read through all of the first four ghost fragment human guards and then talk about them? Yeah, that's fine. We okay. can digest them together. Right, because they um, kind of they kind of do actually go very well together. Okay. So, Ghost Fragment Human 2 from the Diaries of Commander Jacob Hardy, Pilot, Ares 1. Everybody asks about the words. The truth is I'm not much of a poet. Ares 1 didn't leave us with bandwidth for anything except blunt competence. We came in perilously hot, trying to select a landing site through the chaos of thickening, thickening atmosphere and turbulence that bloomed off the target. A 20-minute round-trip light-speed delay to Earth mean we could meant we could only count on ourselves. When the number three engine went diagnostic during the second course correction, I thought we might go catastrophic. But Chow brought us in. Mikhailova brought us in. I just flew, flew the ship. The Ares-1 excursion vehicle was built for the thin winds and icy dust. We came down into a storm. The breath of God. A ripple of change rolling down off the artifact. We aborted on three sites, and finally I took us into the, pow- into the powered hover and brought us down on reflexes and instinct. Then we ran the checklist, suited up, and left the vehicle. There was a script, and it's true, I botched it. I got my boots down, and I made the, famous ga- the most famous gaffe in human history. Said the first thing that came into mind. A warning to the others. We were walking into a rate into a rising wind. I didn't mean to say anything immortal. I just thought it'd be useful to know. Woo! That card is. I like that one. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they're coming down into Mars's atmosphere, and it's not what it's supposed to be. It's it is thick, and it's you know. I mean. Mars is not supposed to have rain and wind and, and you know, these atmospheric pressures. So you can imagine what that did to a pilot. <laughs> well, then we go to Human 3. And again, this is from the diaries of Commander Jacob Hardy, the pilot of Eris 1. <clears throat> it says, the hike from Eris 1. You've watched it. Everything was recorded. I think you can get in in full immersion now and fly around like a hummingbird. I'll add what I can. The route was planned. We all went together. The CEV and Eris-1 itself had enough automation to go home alone in the event of crew loss. Whatever we'd find at the artifact, it needed the human element. We carried rifles. That made us heavier and slower and probably less safe. I think the argument about the rifles can be left for another time. What important is... It turned out well. Look at me. Look at us. You're talking to a 90-year-old man. A 90-year-old who has never been sharper. I'm miles ahead of every cognitive benchmark. What's happened to me is good. What's happened to all of us is good. When we crested that rise and made visual contact with their artifact, I don't think any one of us dared dream that it would end this well. We went to Mars at the cutting edge of human civilization. And it wasn't our weapons that won the day. It was our ship, our training, our camaraderie, 
our belief that if we just reached out to the universe, not to grasp for profit or security, but with an open hand, we would be elevated. We were right. That makes me so happy to this day. And I will be talking about this card in a little bit. But Justin, why don't you finish off with the fourth one? Human fall from the diaries of Commander Jakob Hardy, (laughs) pilot, Ares one. (laughs) To keep with my tradition of saying things wrong. Three human beings stood on a high ridge and saw the shape of the future. Saw rain strike a millennial desert. Felt the air sweeten with oxygen and warm water and the beginnings of life. I'm sometimes asked if I felt something die. The end of an era of human self-sufficiency. I don't know how to answer that question. I do know that I was changed. Nobody could experience that kind of wonder and remain unchanged. The decades since have proven that to me. I knew I'd never fly another mission like that. I recognized the need for a new love. That's why I threw my fresh cognitive skills into understanding the traveler. How can one entity so quickly and utterly remake an entire world? Fifty years later, I'm conversant in high mathematics, particularly topological thoughts, and the slippery irreality of light. Thoughts and the... um, Sorry. I'm involved in a project to study the Traveler's terraforming actions right now, but but I still enjoy the interviews, like going back to that mission. It makes me unspeakably happy to see how well it all turned out, and it makes me happy to remember I was there. So, whoever put the words slippery, irreality, and light in the same sentence in consecutive order is not my favorite person. (laughs) That's ridiculously hard to say at speed. (laughs) Um, I do, I did want to point out, I did actually talk about these cards in the lore 101 video that I put out on the darkness and the light. Oh yeah. Um, and the, the point that I made in that, that video and the point that I still kind of hold to is that, this is really the difference between humanity and the hive, um, really. Or those are the kind of the two primary examples. Humanity came to the... Two? Well, I mean, for the example of, that I was making for this, um, humanity came to the Traveler and the entire source of paracausal power and the light and you know all this, and they came with open hands. They came with peaceful intention, not necessarily peaceful intentions, but, but, um, a desire to learn a desire to not attack and prove that they need to, to exist. Whereas the hive, they came at it with the sword logic. They came at it with a blade. And that's why, you know, the, um, the comment that I made is like, you know, the, uh, it wasn't the weapons that won the day. It was the belief that we, if we just reached out to the universe, not to grasp for profit or security, but with an open hand, we would be elevated. Whereas the hive reached out with the point of a blade. And it's, it's a fundamentally different approach to the unknown. 
most but. will approach the unknown with fear and attack. But this this crew, you know, what, regardless of if they were the representative of the entirety of humanity, this crew came at it with an open hand. Yeah, that, yeah, and you just kind of stole my whole point from me. I try. So, I try right. really hard to. But it it was the approach of the crew. Mm-hmm. It was not the approach of humanity. Someone mandated they take guns, right? So the the status quo or the you know the standard operating procedure um was better safe than sorry. Take your guns. This mm-hmm. crew saw no need for that. They they followed procedure because they have always followed orders, but they knew they wouldn't need them, and they approached it as a peacekeeping mission, or you right. know, as as a as a first contact scenario, as opposed to as opposed to a uh, you know a declaration of war, right? Um, and I just I just wanted to say that that it's not a given that with any three pilots, any three astronauts that we would get the same approach. It's very much fate or destiny that these three people ended up on that, on that Brown rock at this time or red rock rather, but you get my point, right? Right. No, I totally do. But I I mean, I just think that, you know, I also think, that this paints a very, very big difference between Hardy and individuals such as Clovis Bray. Because we know that Bray was the exact opposite. He wanted to grasp for profit well, and security. And he himself, used that. Anything right. that bettered him. Yeah, He's a businessman. He's a capitalist. In every sense of the word. You know, right. If, if there was no profit in it, he wasn't he interested be doing in it. it. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I'm not going to argue the merits of that, but I will say that that is a very easy thing to understand. It's not a very complex, you know, paradigm. <laughs> no. And I, yeah, I trying to, I mean, I I think that's, to me, that is, like, the biggest things that stick out at me from these four cards um, is the, you know, the sense that it's more of an owl-centric approach instead of the egocentric approach of the darkness and the hive. And that kind of, to me, sets the fundamental difference between the two societies, as well as, you know, kind of the the reason why we come in conflict with that and why we find such horror in the approach that the hive have. So I'm trying to think, do you have any, do you have anything else you want to throw in on these? I mean, this is pretty much the birth of the golden age. Um, no, I mean, this is, uh, it's, it's pretty much the, the diary of the first responders, the people who first, who first uh, encountered the traveler. So, I mean, 
you can imagine that that these that these diaries would be just rife with wonder and a lot of you know very flowery pronunciations of you know just how great and grand the traveler is so i mean not much to unwrap here i don't think and it also should be noted that there is an argument that jacob hardy there's a thin argument and a couple of theories on the identity of Jacob Hardy, um, simply because he does have somewhat of a prominent place in the grimoire. Um, there's a number of theories, one of which is, is that this an, is this an equals theory? Yeah, yeah, this is an equals theory. Like, That's my favorite type of theory. Is an equals theory? <laughs> <laughs> is this person equals that person is my favorite type of theory. Please. So I've, I've heard a couple different ones. I've heard Jacob Hardy could be the speaker. I've heard Jacob Hardy could be, could be Osiris. I've heard Jacob Hardy. No, I haven't heard that. One you haven't heard that one? That one, that one was a weird no. one. Um, and then there's another argument that Jacob Hardy could be our guardian. So, okay, okay, I I could kind of see that. Actually, my eight year old son put this together all on his own. He stops me when he was deleting and creating his like eighty fifth character because <laughs> he likes that. He likes to play that first mission. So, hey, you have to get the um, hair right. Yeah, you got to get the hair right. But um, but he literally stops me during that cinematic and goes, "Hey, Dad, you want to." You want to know something? I'm like, what? Tell me. He's like, see that? There's three of them. Warlock, Hunter, Titan. And he just dropped the mic and didn't explain himself at all. (laughs) And I was like, wait, but what? (laughs) So there's a lot of theories surrounding this, but. I think the most likely this fire team, the first fire team. <laughs> yeah, the first fire team, all that all that jazz, it's great and I love the symmetry of it all, but I think the most probable explanation is Jacob Hardy equals Jacob Hardy. Look at you being logical. <laughs> Watch out, someone's I'm introducing trying. logic to the spin foil. I got to I got to pick my I got to pick my battles. Oh, okay. This isn't yeah. one, one of them. Okay. <laughs> Well, we'll end it. We'll end the Ghost Fragment human cards with actually kind of the end of the Golden Age. And that is Ghost Fragment Human 5. And this is one that actually we just got recently with the Taken King. And this card reads Hope. Yeah, I haven't seen this one yet. You haven't seen this one. Well, here we go. Here we go. Hope. Hope and standing with strangers. That's what I remember. Hope churning beneath my skin, assuring me there was a place besides this place, a realm that would nurture us, not kill us. The earth was ruin, chaos and madness and death. We were standing on the earth, where I am now. But why am I still here? It was my turn to leave, I remember. I was waiting with others like me, and the ships would soon take us away. But to where? Where Where was this hope? I must have known. There had to be been a name, coordinates, except all that is forgotten. Other than my absolute conviction and salvation, nothing remains. The Traveler. I remember that now, which was... What? 
I, I don't know. Something has stolen my words, the imagery, but I still remember what it promised us. The universe. Yes. Creation held in our hands, but I was here for a reason. And what would I surrender just for the faint chance to remember what that good reason was? So these were, this was a, a series of cards, actually. Uh, Human, Awoken, and Exo all had three new cards with Taken King. And it's actually kind of almost a an explanation of what the Guardian kind of is. Like an origin story for the Guardian. Um, which is where a lot of people kind of have made a, a little bit of a tenuous connection between um, Hardy and the Guardian is right here. So, but this is, so this is actually kind of the, the memory of earth being abandoned during the beginnings of the collapse and the end of the golden age. So now, now this, this may be way off base. Is this the account of arisen? What's up? Is this the account of a risen? Yeah, that's the theory. That's the theory is that Very this much is seems like this is a person being born into a strange world. Right. And that's the that's the explanation that a lot of people have taken with the human I think it's human five, exo three, and awoken four. Whichever the ones the latest ones for the races, all three of them have very similar feelings to this card. And so a lot of, that's that's what a lot of people have kind of assumed about them no i i'm with that i think that is it i just like the ending of this card what the what i would what would i surrender just for the faint chance to remember what that good reason was nice that so sounds like a cade line Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm But moving on. Well, let's take a step back back into the Golden Age. We have a couple of random Grimoire cards that kind of just kind of have like some random nods to Golden Age events. Um, the first one is the Jupiter card, and I think you're going to grab that one. Yep. So we'll just read that real quick. It's a real short one. Yeah. Yeah. Jupiter, Lord of Worlds. Massive Jupiter and its moons must have been a cornerstone of Golden Age civilization, but the nature and extent of human presence there is now unknown. Old records refer to cities and ice and world-spanning oceans, but perhaps this is only poetry. The city's ships have rarely attempted any journey to Jupiter or beyond. Oh. Um, sorry, the, the, uh, the importance on this one was that it was just a nod of Jupiter and its moons as being a cornerstone of the golden age civilization, which kind of puts the reach of that civilization further out, right? It just kind of gives you a an idea of the reach of what human your wow wow what humanity that was gee, a good word that was a really interesting word 
um, what humanity had access to. Whereas, you know, in this, in the city age right now, we have not attempted really any journey to Jupiter beyond. We know slight spoilers. We know there are some non city guardians beyond there now, thanks to Ephrodite, but, um, we don't know much about that. Yeah. So, um, that's a pretty cryptic card. Yeah. There's not a lot going on there. No, there's um, not. And again, that was mostly just to kind of point to the, the reach of what humanity had during the, the golden age. That's a pretty, pretty, uh, solid reach too. Mm-hmm. Like colonizing Jupiter is, you've got to think about a lot of things before you get to colonizing Jupiter. You know what I mean? Much less it becoming a cornerstone in your civilization. So I'm really, really interested to get to step foot on Jupiter. Aren't we all? Um, the next the next card that I wanted to bring up is the Exo card. And really, this is kind of to point to a topic that was actually kind of a, a subject of a lot of debate in the chat was the, the not-so-golden quality of the Golden Age. So let me read this real quick, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. It says, Ask yourself, what threatened your Golden Age ancestors so much that they constructed the Exos to defend themselves? Built for a long-forgotten struggle, Exos are self-aware war machines so advanced that nothing short of a ghost can understand their inner functions. They remain ciphers even to themselves, their origins and purpose lost to time. Whoever built the Exos fashioned them in humanity's image, gifting them with diversity of mind and body. Many of the city's Exo-citizens live and work alongside their organic brethren, but others fight again reforged in the light of the traveler to serve as guardians. So the reason I included this was quite frankly, it's a point towards that human nature that we cannot get away from. You know, we see it in a lot of there's it's, it's very popular in science fiction. Um, Science fiction works, you know, we have these giant advancements and all this stuff, but it's a double-edged sword and without fail, something happens and we have to create war machines and, you know, whether it's to fight off alien threats, whether it's to put down, you know, uprisings in far distant colonies, <laughs> Spartan program, um, or whatever, there's there's always a sense of this, and you know the exos. We 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 have an entire episode in which we talk about the exos. The exos are a fascinating, fascinating. What's that? It should probably be two episodes. But yeah, yeah we, it, we've got one. Yeah, the exos are amazingly just an amazing aspect. But the point that I include these guys here for is just the nod to the fact that, yeah, the golden age was, I mean, we had amazing advancements. We had, you know, technology that just boggled the mind. We eradicated cancer and other traditional diseases. We, you know, potentially tripled our lifespans, but you know what we didn't get away from war. War was still there. 
Hmm. One might say it's the only constant. It never changes. Sorry. Rainbow, Rainbow Bright Death Squad. <laughs> Comes back. It, well, why do you think you they're led by uh, an exo? Or not so led. They're not led by an exo. Sorry, they're representatives. I think it. I think it's a. Uh, I think it's a quote from one of the Jurassic Park movies. Um, Jeff Goldblum says, "You know what? You know what the problem is. You were so busy. Oh yeah, wondering if you could. You never stopped to ask if you should." <laughs> I think that's. I might have completely misplaced that quote, but it's an awesome one. It's the same ex- explanation for Skynet and for any other massive war yeah. AI. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I mean, and really, that was it. Was just basically to prove to to show that the golden age was not this super peaceful, you know, kumbaya time. Um, we, well, we definitely, it was a time of radical change. Right. And I mean, even, even within the golden age card, it, it spoke of very, very deep seated philosophical differences and, you know, internal strife and, you know, just like just huge, huge issues that, probably were not you know the most the most peaceful peacefully approached um so that but yeah that was just that was my purpose of including that one and then yeah you want to take you want to take the next one i was going to say the next one is the traveler and this is again obviously obviously i mean the the catalyst kind of deserves its own card. Yes. Yes, the Traveler. Everyone's favorite Dyson Sphere. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> everything changed with the coming of the Traveler. It gave us gifts that transformed the solar system and the nature of human life. It ushered in the Golden Age, a time of miracles, but it never shared its deepest secrets. Where did the Traveler come from? Why did it offer us so much? Did it know it was being hunted across the stars? And why, when the darkness came, did it choose to stay and fight for us? Now the traveler hangs silent above humanity's final sanctuary. It may be healing. It may be dying. It gave everything it had to save us. And now its power lies with us, the Guardians. I don't trust it, by the way. You and a lot of other people don't. But it's, I mean, it's an ally card. I don't know why you don't trust it. It says right right there. It's in the allies section of the grimoire. Our good friends, our our good friends. Yeah, well, actually, yeah, that is a bunch of designation. But but (laughs) that doesn't mean anything. I've got a theory in the works that Siva <laughs> broke out of the Traveler, okay? And that's why there's a hole in the bottom, because that's where it came out. Okay? It's 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 the bones of a theory, okay? Don't take it apart right now, okay? Just give Don't me, do what you're going to do anyway. Yeah, don't. Just give me a month to workshop it, okay? Get it together. Spit you the finished product. (laughs) It's the traveler. Okay. It's silent. Okay. What do you think when a stranger shows up and gives you gifts? 
what's this guy want? <laughs> right? That's human nature, right? If I show up on your doorstep and you don't know me from boo and I say, hey, I've got three weeks in Orlando. You're thinking he's going to steal my money. So that's what I think about the traveler. Okay. <laughs> I knew that would make people mad. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, just guys, just this. I I was in the, the cone of trust when I shared that. <laughs> don't rip, don't rip it apart. Okay, just give it a chance. It's like a petri dish. It's like a petri dish. Let it grow. Oh right. Except, right. except we know from the owl sector. Uh, no, no. Okay, I'll let you. No, I'll let you travel. Try to apply logic to it. Okay, that's <laughs> not where we're at. Is it? Is that not <laughs> the stage? Is that not the stage in the development cycle no, that we're? <laughs> yeah, we're we're in glory. Um, oh man. So, moving on. <laughs> So okay, the final grimoire card that are really that really stands out is the Rasputin grimoire card, um, and that that is there's there's a number of reasons. Um, War mines was one of the technological advancements that we had during the Golden Age, so this was you know that was the birth time of these these AIs these intelligences, and it also kind of uses it also kind of explains the the placement of the war mines. And again, we've excuse me, we've had an episode on Rat or do we have it on Rasputin or just War Mines? Then was it just War Mines? Mm-hmm. So we've we've had an episode in which we talked about this. So it's not I mean again, go go jump over to that one because I'm pretty sure that was an entertaining entertaining episode. But that being said the card reads as follows. Rasputin. The legendary war mines stood watch over our golden age colonies. Vigilant intelligences stretch across thousands of war sats and hardened installations. When the collapse struck, the great war mines fought and died. Rasputin fell with them. Or so history believed. But centuries of explorers' tales spoke of a surviving elusive war mine a myth substantiated when guardians exploring the old Cosmodrome made positive contact with Rasputin. A single war mine still lives, diminished but unbroken. Threatened by a convergence of fallen and hive forces, Rasputin exploited the reactivation of the Cosmodrome's terrestrial space array to extend itself across the inner solar system. The guardian vanguard hoped that Rasputin might make a powerful ally capable of mapping and reviving Golden Age military assets and recruiting them for the city's defense. But Rasputin has proven recalcitrant and high-handed, unresponsive to the city's outreach. We cannot characterize Rasputin's strategic objectives and capabilities, cannot defend, define its physical or computational architecture, cannot ascertain its disposition with regards to the city, and cannot be sure it retains memory of events before the collapse. Perhaps what remains is only an autonomic shell, defending itself by reflex. Or, perhaps Rasputin's objectives have changed, transformed by some vital information it obtained during those dark days. Rasputin's survival opens the possibilities that other war mines may be revivable, opening weapon systems to aid in cities' defenses. 
The Vanguard and the Consensus hope that continued outreach towards Rasputin will develop into a strategic alliance. So again, a couple points there that nod to the Golden Age. Um, And mainly, again, point to the Golden Age being not the most peaceful era um, because you don't name something a war mind without having the, you know, obvious implications of what that thing is meant to do. They also have hardened installations and war sats. So those are war satellites, um, which like to fall on guardians. Just a heads up. They will hit you. Um, according to one of the new Grimoire cards, don't punch the anomaly that apparently attracts them. Very, very, very nice. Like a magnet. Nice. Um, But yeah, so, and then, you know, obviously it was believed that at the time of the collapse, which was the end of the golden age, that all the war mines fell. And then, you know, Rasputin, just like his namesake, rose up and proved them all wrong. So. Got, you got anything you want to talk about on that one before we jump into some of the stuff that we talked about in chat? No, I think you, I think you nailed it. Um, the, the need for a war mind definitely does speak to how not so, you know, just rosy the golden age must've been. I mean, there was a need, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely agree with that. The war mind, it, it, he intrigues me. And I say he, I mean, Rasputin. Um, I definitely think we need a new Warmind episode after all we're going to learn in this expansion. Right, yeah. I can definitely agree with that. Put it in, Blue. Put it in. Okay. So, yeah, we can... I think we can move on to chat items. So, we had a few items... um, and not many, but and I'm sure there's more now. But we had the Hesperos um, Titan items. Yeah, and we we talked about those a little bit. But were the flavor texts that mm-hmm. different on those? I can't remember. No, that was the one when we were talking about the uh, the the gold. I think it was the Ghost Fragment Golden Age. We read those. That's the arm, the head, and the leg that just basically showed that the Hespernauts were the ones that terraformed Venus. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're good there. Um, do we want to get in and talk owl sector? Um, we, the reason I kind of put owl sector in there was that there, there was really just one, um, sector report. Well, okay. So owl sector is kind of an odd, odd one. So the transmission event that happened this past weekend um, was, I'm sure most people who are listening to this episode who play the game know what I'm talking about. But if you don't play the game, basically what happened was it was a a crazy time that basically translated into double XP weekend in the form of little bitty nanomites, technomites, infecting all the guardians via what was kind of colloquially called the space aids or a space STD. Can I, can I just take a moment? 
can I take a moment? Everyone likes to to bash Bungie. None of content, this, that, the other. That was genius. Okay. That was amazing. That, the that was amazing. the level of excitement. I, can, I completely missed it, but I had to scroll through. I got to scroll through the timeline of it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to kind of posthumously experience the, you know, the owl sector phenomenon. And I'm really sad I missed it in real time, but um, it was um, it was possibly the the single the single most inventive piece of uh, viral marketing for you know a game expansion I've ever seen. Oh yeah, easily, easily. Um, it it brought people who are already excited to an entirely new level of frenzied pitch like (laughs) and there's and there's a couple people in our chat um uh oh there's a couple people who have actually gone out and uh quinjans um sorry if i mispronounced that quinjans and i know dragon and beta uh have time uh have like chronological orders orderings of the events they're pretty much from what i've read of them they're pretty much presented in a chronological order but if you want to double check that just definitely give them a shout in the discord chat they have them link but the basic breakdown there were five five variants of these little technomites um going to just really kind of run through it very very high level they were brilliance 3.2 glory 2.1 splendor 2.6 magnificent 2.0 and fortitude 3.1 and each one of those correlated with a specific color of little mites um and the the one that really kind of points to golden age for information was actually glory 2.1 and this was the white mites and now in i'm I'm gonna link the owl sector website in the show notes for everyone to read the transcripts that everyone else got to read they are also available on ishtar collective uh if you search for those they are there or if you use lorebot in the discord chat um you can search against ishtar for these transcripts as well the um the overlying story of the owl sector transmission event was taken place in real time, like not in real time, but in current time in game. However, they were accessing data that was written during the golden age. And that's why they're kind of relevant to this, this entire chat. This is mostly seen through the eyes of a Dr. Shirazi, who was an employee of Willa Bray of the Bray family. Now, we're going to kind of get into the Brays a little bit because they are very, very big aspect of the Golden Age. Willa Bray is sort of important because Willa was actually the one who kind of came up with the concept of Ingrams and the use of Glimmer to kind of store those Ingrams and stuff like that. Smart matter, basically. She's the one that invented that. Um, so she also was the one that was doing all this research on Siva. So Clovis Bray was very, very closely and actually probably the creator of Siva from what I'm remembering off the top of my head. Now, a, an interesting trivia fact, um, 
Bife and Mesa and all these guys, they have tons of videos on the owl sector aspect. And they just, they, they go into it a lot, lot further than what I'm going into. An interesting note though, is owl is actually an acronym that stands for a kind of a scientific concept called the orbital weapon lancet. And what this is, is actually a, an orbital weapon that fires a spike from space into a target that's been assigned to it. So it's actually a weapon system that does exist outside of destiny and other science fiction novels and works. Um, glory, glory though, this is, this is an interesting thing because glory actually paints a picture of Clovis Bray. That's very, very in opposition of the records that the characters in the game have of Clovis Bray. Glory presents to us the picture of when we kind of know about this from Kate's journal that Clovis Bray was not very, not very honest in how they acquired test subjects for all their experiments. And the owl sector kind of stumbles into this and confirms that it wasn't just Cade that had this situation happen. Uh, the character in question for glory was patient E who goes by the name of Yun and he was a very, very big pessimism, uh, pessimistic approach to everything. And he had a couple of really fun quotes, actually. But um, the important part here is that they revealed the uh, the fact that Clovis Bray was not on the up and up on everything. They did not hesitate to put people into debt to then turn around and trick them into going into studies to pay off their debts. Um or, you know, in Cade's case, holding over his head things that had gone wrong on certain things and kind of getting like just basically twisting events to make make them constantly be in debt. It was they were never able to get out of debt with them until they chose, you know, till they the godfather of the family decided that, you know, the debt would be paid. Um and so that that was kind of the the main purpose of my referencing the owl sector event not only was it a massive thing that happened this past week in destiny but it was a very very yeah in pins and in chat stereotypical company store yeah it's in the traditional company store sense it's it's a very 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 traditional sense of that um so that that's really the the point of that um yeah, and so that that was really my my entire part. the The one thing that I do like from Glory was the comment from from Yun. It says Clovis Bray destroys the world to remake it in their own image. That's their goal. And then later he has another comment about about Clovis. He says everything and everyone dies. The more you try to cheat death, the more you try to profit from life. The sooner we die. So. Just, just again, a little bit of an uh, explanation of why we're talking about the owl sector, especially within reference to the golden age. That was that was where that came from. Um, the other big thing that was talked about in chat, and this is gonna be this is gonna be on the mind map for the show because there is a lot of information on this. Is all the technology that we know was developed in the golden age. Um, we broke it. Let me pull this up real quick. 
we broke it into a couple big categories. I think we have four major categories. And that is space travel, robotics, engineering, and medical tech and advancements. Um, we kind of talked we, we kind of talked about the medical tech and advancements in the eradication of traditional diseases already. Uh, the other the other medical advancements that we do know of are heat sensing retinal implants and something called paramuscle. Um, we don't really know it. There's not a lot of information on that, on those necessarily. Uh, the heat, ret- the heat sensing retinal implants kind of goes in line with some of the robotics development. Um, we'll talk about that in just a second. The other, the other one that we kind of mentioned, especially at the beginning of it was space travel. Now, this was a very big thing because as we noted in the Ghost Fragment Human cards, it took us 14 months to get to Mars. That was prior to the Golden Age. What we developed in the Golden Age was colony ships, which also included the concept of stasis pods, which allowed people to travel further without basically going into cryogenic sleep so that they wouldn't age. It's a very, very common space traveling concept in science fiction you go into a cryogenic sleep you don't age you can travel further you can travel into another galaxy even and wake up and you're the same age even though you know hundreds of years have passed the other thing that we've developed where we developed in the golden age was something called a near light speed drive this is a very important development because what this means is that there is no such thing as light speed in the destiny universe. Everything is at near light speed or NLS. Um, what this means is that you, we have surpassed the ability of a normal, you know, combustion engine or whatever engine that they were using at the time. And they actually developed a more efficient use of energy to project an item through space. And so we can get, actually get it near to light speed. Obviously, they haven't broken the light speed barrier, but we get it to near light speed, which cuts down, obviously, on travel. What's that? I said, uh, I think the term is subluminal. Yeah, subluminal. Yeah. And and, and it's, I mean, it's it's a very interesting, and there's, just go look at NASA, and you want to talk about space drives, they have all sorts of fun theories. And the other thing in space travel is self-sustaining space habitats. This is very, very prevalent in the reef area, which we know the reef was actually habitat or um, the, the reef was habitated during. God, man, I am not able to talk tonight. Was made a habitat. Yes. Thank you. My, my brain was like, I was going, I was going and I knew what I was trying to say, but I could not say it. Um, Self-sustaining space habitats were what basically made the reef possible. Um, And the reason that is important to remember is that the reef was there prior to the collapse. So prior to all the Awoken, prior to all that stuff happening during the collapse, the reef was already there and they were actually researching stuff already. Um, Remember, during the Golden Age, it wasn't just Earth. It wasn't just uh, Venus. It wasn't just Mars. There were there were things we talked about it with Jupiter all its moons, Europa, which is a giant ice moon, you know, you talk about, you talk about liquid cooling a PC, just imagine what you could do on an entire planet of ice to keep everything cool, which is where a lot of the theories for the Deepstone Crypts um, server rooms being hosted on Europa come from. That's where that theory comes from. Um, and that kind of segues into the robotics 
uh, event or inventions of the robotics in the golden age. We have things all the way from nanotechnology, which um, you know obviously includes SIVA, which we are learning. We are learning a lot about in this expansion, uh, but it also includes spin metal, what's called a spin metal cytoconstructor. And so basically all those spin metal things that you guys find out on patrol and you're collecting and, you know, you just love those resource farming. Spin metal is actually something that was invented in the golden age. It's a, it's an escaped uh, event from one of those golden age mechanics. Uh, the other thing from robotics were frames. So all those sweeper bots, those combat, there were combat models, there was maintenance models. Um, we see them a lot in the Ghost Fragment Vex uh, cards, which we did not read because it feels like we read those every other episode. But the neural links, and I mean, it does. It really does. But the biomechanical proxy bodies that the team of scientists from Ishtar used to explore the Citadel, those were frames that were invented during the Golden Age. This leads all the way up to Sentient AI, which is the War Mines, which includes the Warset Network. Um, so in the Warset Network... Oh man, there's a lot included in the Warsat network, but those are those little, you know, the little balls, the fallen Warsats that are public events. Those actually control those antimatter, kidiometric weapons and orbital flechette guns. I mean, they're massive weapon platforms in which the war mines could remotely control each one of those things, so that the war mine didn't have to be present physically in order to control that. That also includes ship mines. So each one of your ships, if you start reading some of the flavor text, you'll note that there are even a couple weapons who have AIs built into them. Mm-hmm. And there's super one good advice. super good advice is one that's actually a sentient AI. But there's a couple weapons that that's have a comment best. about um, you could plug this weapon into your ship and it would fly it. I cannot remember the life of me, the one off the top of my head, but I know there is a couple. Um and that's because ships have very, very complex equations that need to be run in order to, you know, use the near light speed. That's faster than a human can react. So that's where the ship mines come from. Sentient AI also include EXO, which are the ExoTech, um, which, you know, <laughs> that's its own enigma in and of itself. Um, you can you can then include within there the concept of the mind upload and mind forking, which we heard about at the beginning as kind of being a, a philosophical rift among people during the golden age. Uh, mind uploads, I've always kind of read them as positronic brains, which is a, a positronic brain was an Asimov invention, actually, if I remember the creator of that right. And it was his way of explaining androids um and how they could do what they do without being biological Uh, mind forking oh man how far down the rabbit hole do we want to go with mind forking Uh, i i i would love to go i mean down there but i don't know how much it has to do with the golden age i mean Mind forking is basically from what I can 
remember of what I'm reading. Mind forking is the concept of splitting your consciousness into multiple fragments and then allowing each fragment its own level of sentience to control its own existence. And then the philosophical hey. debate that comes from that is each one of those fragments technically then would be a, a person. Again, going back to yeah. the Vex fragments. And they have what uh, Dr. Chioma would uh, refer to as interiority. Right. Meaning inside their own little programmed world, inside the parameters of their reality, they are real. Things happen without you observing them. It's not like I, I hate to burst people's bubble here, but it's not like destiny. Okay. If you're not in the tower standing in front of Cade, he's not standing there. You, does that make sense? Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a philosophical, actually it's a philosophical, right. uh, philosophical Maybe debate even today. It's not a good example because it's an open world, you know, kind of semi hybrid MMO. Well, like, but it is a good there example. Are other pe- there are, there are other people in front of Cade. Let's, let's use a straight linear storyline type game. In Halo, if you're doing Halo story, right? If if you aren't, you know, activating a cutscene or in in a part of the game, that part of the game doesn't exist until you get there. When an AI or you know a sentient AI achieves interiority, is when their world exists for them, regardless of your observation. Does that make sense? Yep. It's Schrodinger. It's the way I understand it. That's the way I understand it. Yeah, it's it's a play off the concept of Schrodinger's cat. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's it's actually kind of the inverse. Right, right. right. And actually, yeah. that's where I think a lot of the philosophical differences come from. Because, I mean, Schrodinger's paradox is alive and well even today. Um, but the argument then becomes, is it morally are you morally able to delete a program who has interiority? Because if you do, technically you're killing that you're committing genocide. If you delete, you know, programs like that. And I mean, that was the argument in the ghost fragment Vex with the mind forks. If you just delete programs that have interiority, you're technically killing them. But, but are they real? That is God level, though. Right. Is there is there an ethics is there an ethics question when God? Uh, okay, okay. Let's 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 take a step back. <laughs> when when a person dies, is there an ethical dilemma for a deity? There you go. It depends. Yeah. No. It it was. It depends on the religious purview of. The culture, the person observing the quandary, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. So, but but my question is, my question is, it's the same. It's the same paradigm. Like it's that is the same. What's the word I'm looking for? That's the same circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. It's you would not view a person. Let's let's just let's go real world and go in terms we can all relate to, or some of us can who you know whatever oh my god this makes me un- uncomfortable um <laughs> is there an ethical question 
when a person dies and it's attributed to a deity, it's usually never questioned as an ethical as an ethical issue, right? Uh, well, it's never. Is there an it ethics, might not. It might not. It might not. Dilemma. It might not publicly be questioned, but I think that's where the discomfort that a lot of people have with this concept, and I think that's what they're kind of making a nod to within the Golden Age card too. Is there's a discomfort there because you're technically taking it is it's extremely real i mean the thing is is that it's the it's the classic example of you know the the age-old presentation of someone comes to you with a box with a red button and says i'll give you 10 million dollars if you push this button and if you push this button someone somewhere is going to die you don't know him you well you might you might not know him you never you might never have met this person but the thing is, is that, is that, is that ethically, is that the right thing to do? I mean, the the answer, you know, in my mind is no, that's not. I, some people, I mean, I, I have met people who would be like, okay, like, that's just karma and, you know, that's just the way things are. People are going to die. And I mean, I've, I've actually had this conversation with people and, and that's where I think this the golden age card that talks about that that philosophical rift between that i think that's kind of the nod there is so at what point at what point ethically does it make people on uncomfortable what point does it become an ethical issue is the question especially with regards to sentience and ai ai is always going to be kind of that that gray area between you know it's black and white if I if I got told I push a button and a person dies, it's very black and white for me. But if I get told I I hit a delete button and this program that technically has interiority is deleted, is that the same? Is all life equal? And what is life? Like, you know, there's there's a philosophical rabbit hole with mind forking that there is and I kind of feel like this could go on for a while. Oh yeah. But yeah. I I think you gotta get back to what ethics are, right? And, mm-hmm. and then you get into another argument about ethics versus morals. And right. now it's just the good versus evil room and band all again and Damo's yelling at me and <laughs> all a whole bunch of different things are happening. But I do wanna say I do wanna say I don't think ethics and well, I, I guess that's true. Is there? Term. There's the moral moral component. Would be yeah. You're right. Yeah, the moral component is the more appropriate term. I, I think that's probably right, but I don't think ethics apply to what I'm going to refer to God level actions. And mm-hmm. when I say God level actions, I don't mean I prescribe subscribe to one deity over another. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying um, deity level interactions. So to me, a programmer deleting a program is a good analogy for a deity smiting, you know, that maybe that's not a great one, but no, 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 but it is. I mean, if you, if you look at it, like the chat right now, they're talking about the Greek equivalent of this, um, Zeus striking you down with a lightning bolt, something right, like that. Right. You know, there's a, 
Josh stun Josh is talking about Zeus killing Asclepius for having revived too many from the dead with his skills in medicine. And then there's, you know, and Zeus, Zeus was very fickle and all that, but that's, that's the exact same. Um, but you're right. It is a moral, it is a moral conundrum more than it is an ethical conundrum, but it's still, it's, I mean, so, I mean, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw the towel in on the conversation so we can move on to the other thing. Because, I mean, you're right. You're right. I could, I could sit here and I could have a five hour conversation with this topic on the philosophical and moral implications of mind forking. I believe you because I've done that. Oh yeah. I mean, we, we've done that. We've done that. The two of us have done that. Like it's, it's, but it's the, the purpose of is that this shows you just exactly the, the implications of some of these inventions they invented something so complex that it actually literally took a life of its own on. Mm-hmm. The consequence of that is what do you do with it? How do you move forward with that? You know, an exo is technically alive. So, um, <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna cut it off the, this conversation. Oh, we're gonna. Okay. So can I just? Can yeah, I just go for it. Some, go re- for some required. I want to give some required reading, okay? Before anyone yells at me, I want you to read. I want you to read. Uh, <laughs> uh, the moon is a harsh mi- harsh mistress by Robert A. Heinlein, <laughs> and uh, and what's a good philosophy text on it, Blue? On what mind forking, or just like no, moral implications? Mind. Yeah, moral. Morals. Oh, jeez, jeez. I mean, anything pi- by someone Greek. Yeah, I mean, pretty Greek. much any of the Platonic dialogues, the Socratic dialogues. Um, you have the Nicomachean Ethics from Aristotle. I mean, like, you, yeah, any of Aristotle's. Yeah. He so he was a big if you one. Read, if you read all that and you still want to yell at me. You have you have the conch. <laughs> so, um, oh man. Okay, so moving on, <laughs> robotics. We we also have the device, which is oh the device. You want to take that one, Justin? <laughs> Yes, sir. I kind of feel like this might have gotten away from us, but yes, <laughs> we'll take it. Well, it, I mean, this is this is the. I mean, I'm just going through all the advancements in golden age, and you know, that's mind forking is one of the big ones, especially within the vanilla Destiny, and you know, the couple of first expansions. That was a big issue with the grimoire was the uh, the ghost fragment vex cards. They were. One of one of the most fun sets of cards to read, but the device yeah. go for the device. The device is a rep is a is a reproduction of the Clovis Bray device that that Maya Sundaresh later goes to work on after she leaves the uh, Ishtar Academy in the Vex Ghost Fragment Vex cards. So she. Um, she later goes on to work for Clovis Bray, um, presumably on Mars. Um, and I'm flying blind here. But basically, the device is like a portal 
and mostly visual, but there's some auditory elements where you can actually see timelines and see events from the future. Most people are adversely affected and go on to commit suicide or repeat the same statement over and over to a wall and go crazy. Um, (laughs) So basically, basically this is, this is stuff we're not supposed to see. You're, you're literally, there's a reason we can't see the future right now. It's because it would drive us nuts. Right. Yep. Uh, if you look at Ghost Fragment Future War Cult, that is also where we get the idea that the human mind is too weak to look into timelines. Um, and it also is the lead into the Ghost Fragments for the um, different NPC races in which the theory is is that that ghost is actually the same ghost. It has been split among timelines because the ending of Ghost Fragment Future War Cult uh, is Maya speaking to a ghost and asking if it is ready to travel through the device. Um, there is also a really interesting, and I'm trying to find my my notes on this one. So, so while you look for this, um, I actually, repping Future War Cult as my main, I've got a lot of Future War Cult gear, and there's a lot of new there's a lot of new flavor text for, and they're all new chasms, um, which is essentially, if you've read these cards, um, a chasm is essentially the, the view that they're, that they're taking into the future. So usually the card will begin with chasm and then a number and then the subject's name. So, um, there's some new ones. If you will just rep Future War Cult and get some of the new gear, they have flavor texts to kind of correspond. Um, the theory that I was talking about, and we kind of talked about this a little bit um, prior, but there is a theory that in Ghost Fragment Vex 5, uh, Record Zero Chasm 2 speaks of an individual that some people think might have actually been Osiris, and that is Zacharik Gil- Gilmanovich Bekterva. Uh, it's a Gilmanovich, yeah, that one Bekterv. is. Um, and I can try if anyone's interested in that theory, I can dig up the particulars of that. It was a really interesting theory. Um, that was a really interesting one, and I can't remember the exact details, but it was it was pretty in depth, and it was actually pretty pretty solid. Um, but that is the device. So the device basically is to to recap. The device is basically a trans temporal observation deck based on Vex Tech. Again, that is a uh, kind of nodded in Ghost Fragment Vex Five in which they say that they built the device in mimicry of the Vex gateway systems from the Ishtar. Uh, It's an observatory, yes, but it's more of a mind ship, capable of displacing its payload across space and time. This also leads to us hearing about pathways into other galaxies in the Archive mission, which is a, a possible nod to the ghost card in which we see... um, 
we see exos fighting vex against the ship of ship fallen with golden age symbols on it so that is kind of the the last of the robotics trans uh, inventions and advancements and that brings us to engineering now engineering is kind of there's there's some that are just kind of meh we we note them there's not a lot that we know about them one of those is the mass driver launch systems you see that on the moon i think it's in archer's line that entire big bridge thing that's a mass driver launch system it's basically a a giant electromagnetic gun if i'm remembering that correctly Ooh, it's a mac gun yeah it's basically a mac gun um, the other engineering ability that we get from Golden Age is the ability to transmat, which is basically the explanation of how you carry all the crap around that you carry. Um, if you ever switch guns really quickly, you'll notice sometimes there's a glimmer on it. It's because it's actually being transmatted. Like that's how you can carry as much as you carry. Yeah. Um, how do you think an, an ammo synthesis works? Come on. Glimmer. Which brings it's me to that magic. It's it's not, it's not magic. magic. So that begin that comes that brings us to smart matter, which is basically glimmer. And we kind of talked about that. We well, we did talk about this a lot in the Awoken episode. But smart matter then leads into Ingrams, which is a way to program matter into certain things, and that is usually done through a means of decryption, which is why we have to decrypt Ingrams. Um, you'll notice that an Ingram looks like a, a hexagonal patch of glimmer. Um, that's because that is what it is. That's also why if you dis- if you destroy Ingrams without decrypting them, you actually get glimmer from them. It's because basically you're taking the programming chip out of that pile of glimmer and just using the glimmer. Um, we also know that there was something called smart crystals. I don't remember anything... Um, really other than a very very brief nod um about them so i'm not really that's it that's one of those ones that sadly i'm not able to really 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 talk about i'm trying to see if i pull anything up on this one i think it's basically it's again the golden age 2 card that we read uh it's smart crystals so it's like a plasma thing um that's really it Uh, the other one is my favorite one the probability kilns i really can we talk about them (laughs) i really really want to know what a probability kit um one of one of the guys in chat i know what it is i yeah it's a cat with a piece of butter toast on the back of it um it's jelly but go on okay whatever same same thing but but there was there was one of the guys in chat that did make a comment about a possible link to an author uh, who goes by the name of or whose name is Alistair Young, and the quote that he he gave me was this is the quote is this enables manufacturing processes of extremely yo- low yield or dependent upon quantum events of otherwise negligible probability to be successfully operationalized. End quote. Which kind of sounds pretty pretty reasonable. Um, I guess this is a science fiction writer who actually kind of... I don't know if he came up with this concept or if he just kind of was talking about like an idea of something. But that actually sounds pretty reasonable. It sounds better than our cat and jelly toast possible idea. No, no it doesn't. 
<laughs> whatever. <laughs> Probability drive. You're so you you're so quick to abandon your principles, bro. <laughs> It's okay. All we okay. Believe. Explain. Explain to everybody who hasn't been around for a while what the what the cat in the jelly toast is. Okay. So, um, I will I will plug something if I can plug something. So, there is a book, and it is amazing. Okay, it is from the Highland Estate. So, if if you've listened to us for any amount of time, you know I'm a big Robert Highland fan, and. Uh, there's a book that he wrote an outline for called I can't remember what the name was originally going to be. It was something was in the stars or something. Anyways, they found the outline and they had his biggest fan who also happened to be a Nebula award-winning science fiction author, Spider Robinson. They had him write the book posthumously after Heinlein had died, but it's called Variable Star. And as far as um, space travel, time travel, um, super luminal travel, like faster than light um, go, it is the best science fiction book I've ever seen. Um, But they fly the ship with a relativistic drive, which no one can explain how it works. And they have a position on the ship called a relativist. And this is the person that tends the relativistic engine and they can't say what they do, how they do it, or even that they do anything. All they can do is do what they do. So when asked what they do, a couple of them have really interesting answers. So one of them, one of those such individuals, when asked how they make a relativistic drive produce super luminal speeds in a spaceship, he um he replied that they took a cat and and strapped a, a slice of jelly toast to his back jelly up and then threw him in the air and a a cat must always land on his feet and jelly toast must always land jelly side down thus producing quantum motion because the two would constantly rectify one another to to their default states. And uh, it's the single best answer to anything I've ever seen. Um, and it's an image that will never leave me. So that's what that is. Sorry, that's a really long explanation. Back to you, Blue. <laughs> it's the best explanation best you should just read the book if you haven't read the book read it please because not only is it a great science fiction book it has a really good uh it's kind of a love story at heart but it's it's a really good book oh my god (laughs) spider robinson that's who it was spider robinson did i not say spider robinson i don't know i was laughing too hard off the off the mic because i knew what the story was coming Oh, man. Okay. I think that covers all the technologies that we talked about. Um, We did talk about the Eris-1 team. 
We talked about the Ishtar Academy with Sundaresh uh, and her connection to the device and everything like that. The Bray family, I think we kind of mentioned them. The Bray family is a giant component within the Golden Age, um, if you haven't kind of figured that out already. There are a number of people within the Bray family that we learn of throughout the grimoire. And those known family members are Clovis Bray, who is the the head of the family, uh, Clovis Bray II, Willa Bray, Alton Bray, Anna Bray, and Elise Bray. Um, Clovis Bray was... Is, there's there's a number of theories about Clovis Bray and their own person personalities and you know like what could have happened with him. Uh, predominant theory is that Clovis Bray the second could actually be Cade because of a couple of different connections there. Um, and he basically was the the son, the a heir of Clovis, and needless to say, Clovis and him did not really get along. Um, Willa Bray is basically, I'm trying to remember, Willa Bray did quite a bit, actually. She was one of the ones who was in charge of the entire SIVA situation. She was, um, she did a lot of work with Ingram materials and that type of smart matter, stuff like that, um. Trying to think. Don't know if anything else really needs to be said about Willa. I mean, there's a lot that could be said about Willa, but for a brief rundown, uh, Alton Bray, we know, wrote a, we assume, a book called Trials and Triumphs, and that is found on the Meridian Bay card, which is there's a quote from that work, and it says, A great city is a place where man competes with the gods. And that's the end of the quote. Um that's really the only nod to Alton that I know of in the grimoire. Anna Bray, we if you know the grimoire of some of your gunslingers, Anna Bray is probably the name that kind of kind of comes to mind. Anna Bray was a family, a member of the Bray family who later came back as a guardian and actually was involved in Twilight Gap. She was a gunslinger who uh, touched the light in ways that they had never seen before. And actually in the mission in which you have to go through Twilight Gap for the No Time to Explain gun, those pools of light that you run through to survive the shadow that's over the level, those are actually the the remnants of her firing her golden gun. Um, she is also the one who wore the strength of the pack cloak, which is an amazing cloak. Um, and she just, yeah. So she actually came back as a guardian. Elsie Bray. There is a couple of different con- or theories about Elsie Bray, but the, the con connection here is the Eon trespass ship um this is a ship that we had in vanilla destiny and i'm trying to find the actual flavor text here we go it is born from the mind of elsie bray three years before she disappeared 
So she disappeared, and the name Eon Trespass is a trespassing of time, which actually led to some people making theories about her being connected in some way, or if not the being, the stranger. Elsie Bray equals the stranger. See, everything is an equals. Mm Mm-hmm. Welcome to reality. Um, and that's and that's the known family. Uh, Ishtar has an extremely well put together collection on the brain, the, uh, the brain, the brave family in one of their categories. Uh, again, if you're in the discord chat, just throw in a command for Lorebot and he will pull everything for you. And I think that's. The, oh, I, think I did yeah. want to bring up the Sisyphus project. Just simply because it's fun. Sisyphus. Whatever. Sisyphus. Um, Sisyphus. Whatever. The Good. nod here is, if we remember, we were talking about in the Golden Age card that there were some enduring scientific enigmas. This is one of them. This is a project that Clovis just refused to back down from. And because of that, because of the just level of impossibility of ever ever reaching this this project's completion, they came to, they took to calling it the Sisyphus project taken after the name of Sisyphus, who was a king in Greek mythology. He is the, if you, if you know any of your basic Greek mythology in Hades, there's the man who's pushing the boulder up the hill. That is Sisyphus. He was basically punished for being, um, too smart for his own good. He would always trick people. He was self-aggrandizing and deceitful and just all around not a really great guy. When he finally died, he was punished by Hades by basically having to repeatedly run roll a huge stone up a hill only to basically, depending on the type of, depending on the myth that you're reading, either he becomes intransparent or it slips or something happens. And He's basically been told as soon as you get this ball, as soon as you get this ball at the or the boulder to the top of the hill, you're free to go. Well, Hades, being the god that he is, made it so that that is physically never going to happen, and so it's an eternal process of just doing an impossible task over and over and over and over and over. Hence, the Sisyphus project that Clovis is. I personally kind of think that the Sisyphus project that Clovis is talking about is actually the pursuit of immortality. Um, but not that's just my assumption. I will note that the item itself looks like a ring of a minion from Despicable <laughs> Me. The minion ring. I it's a minion that. ring. And that's it's I I might not make a lot of friends with some of our friends over in the warlock camp, but it is honestly one of the reasons I wanted to be a warlock. Is just to have it's that really artifact. It's really not a ring though. It's an armband. It might be an armband, but it's a minion. You can't argue that that is a minion. Banana. Banana. Uh, And I think that's actually it. When we're talking about minions and bananas, I think it's time. Mm -hmm. I I definitely, I see where you're going with this. You want to, I think we should go to shout outs. I, I think we have reached the, the edge of sanity. Yeah, no. We've <laughs> into this chasm longer than we should. I think you should start. 
All right. Well, first off, I wanted to give a giant congratulations to the winner of our loot crate that we gave away for hitting 100,000 downloads. Um, and as well as a thank you to all the people who listen, uh, that that Yay. individual was Roy2D2. Um, I have sent him all of the information and everything like that. I might have another loot crate in the works for another giveaway. We're going to see what I can do about that. Um, and then also I wanted to give a big thank you to, we've gotten a couple more iTunes reviews. Um, I just really wanted to say thank you so much for the feedback to everyone who has turned in an iTunes review. Um, it not only helps us, it also helps, you know, get, get us, you know, out in the, the iTunes world. I don't really pay attention to iTunes. So, or the ranking, I don't really pay attention to the iTunes ranking cause I have no idea how that works. I don't think anyone really does. Um, but it's, a, it's another avenue of us getting feedback to being, you know, hearing what we can do better, what we should not do, you know, all that. So just thank you for everyone who has turned in one of those. And then a big shout out to Mel. Um, you notice that she's not here this week. Uh, she is actually in Edmonton for a convention. We hope that she is having a blast and we're looking forward to, hopefully she's going to have time to jump on for next week's chat. So, pictures, please. Pictures. Pictures or it didn't happen, Lots Mel. of pictures. Lots of pictures. Okay. So I think Blue's done. Mm-hmm. You have um, the conch now. Yeah, yeah. So that actually ties into my first shout-out. <laughs> Big shout-out to Oz1300. That's a Discord name. I don't know if he shares that across all platforms, but... um. Listener reached out to me and to let me know to stop Blue from sounding silly. It's not a conch. Okay. It's a conch. Are we good, Blue? Yep. We're going to conch people on the head. Conch. No, 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 you won't. There will be no, there will be no reprisals. <laughs> I, just, I mean, but okay. that's what happens, right? You get the conch and then you get knocked upside the head. And you get hit on the head with a large rock. <laughs> yeah. My my defense to that too was that's how they say it in the movie. I think the line is literally "Piggy has the conch," but um, it's actually pronounced "conk." Um, but yeah, th- to not go too far off of base here, Oz thirteen hundred gave me some great feedback on Discord and some really kind words, and I really appreciated it, and really appreciate him. Uh, being a listener. And I'd like to thank Bell for um, participating in Arcade 6 episode, which by far had the most feels per capita, I believe. Right? Yep. That's what Bife was it saying. also had uh, um, a couple good memes. Yes. Some memes were generated. Feels were felt. You know, you know, things happened. Um, and um, other than that, uh, you know, just great big shout out to to Yolder. Rest in peace. <laughs> Was that a spoiler? Spoiler. Spoiler. Spoiler alert. All right, guys. Well, with that, we'll begin to wrap the chat up. Thank you again to those over on Twitch for coming to spend your evening with us. If you'd like to join us, please be sure to give us a follow over on twitch.tv slash focusfirechat. 
Links to all our sites can also be found with our episode archives over on www.focusfirechat.com. Please be sure to email us at focusfirechat at gmail.com with any feedback or questions concerning the podcast and let us know how we're doing by giving us some feedback on iTunes or through that email as well. We do try to keep to the scheduled Wednesday night streams of the chat starting at approximately 10 p.m. Central, but if we do have any variations, we always make sure to let everyone know through our Twitter account, at FocusFireChat. Also, please, please, please be sure to check out our partner podcast within the Guardian Radio Network over on the GuardiansofDestiny.com. So, until next time, focus your fire, and may your light shine bright.